This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky, brought to you with always Nick Horwat. We're 12 hours off of the Penguin season ending. Both of our minds are a little frozen. I haven't even shaved my playoff beard yet. That's how fresh it is. Horwat, the season is over. What are your opinions here on this post-mortem Monday, as I guess we'll call it? Uh, man, you know what? You talk about not having shaved yet. I've had the morning from hell so far, and I've been awake for about a half an hour, give or take. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, woke up to a heavy rainstorm. That happens sometimes. Yeah. Also, just perfect timing, uh, given the situation. Uh, it was supposed to rain all weekend, but the whole storm decided to wait until the Penguins were out of the playoffs. <laughs> Love it. Uh, two, my allergies have been kicking my ass, as spring does. Three, my water's not on at the moment, so Ooh. I haven't been able to make coffee, shave, or really do anything. <laughs> um, so I just kind of, I woke up, want, like... Realized the water wasn't on. Listen to the thunderstorm for a minute, which, by the way, has stopped for the recording. We, we do we do appreciate that. Yeah. Oh, and the AC is not working, so it's really warm in this apartment too. I'm having the the morning from hell, and it's just uh, it's gonna be a fun off season. I'm glad it started early, and uh, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. And if everything seems sporadic today, we all know why. Yeah. Because uh, the boys let us down again. Well, that type of morning is just apropos after the game that happened Isn't last it? night. It's just perfectly. I mean, I've been up for about five hours at this point, but kind of the opposite. You know, I think things have gone smoothly up to this point, but uh, we'll see how the rest of the day goes because it is jam-packed. But nonetheless, we're here to talk about Game 7. We will give a overview of Penguins-Rangers Game 7 from last night. Then we'll do a playoffs post-mortem where we'll talk about the entire series. We'll look forward to the offseason. We have plenty to discuss throughout the offseason, so we'll give a quite quick prospectus this episode. Then, of course, we'll have our Pens poll, which we'll have to kind of pull forward because it was from last Monday, as it usually is. But let's start with Penguins-Rangers Game 7. Pens lose 4-3 to in overtime. And before we get into the game itself, it just felt... Going into the third period, not just because Anson Carter said on the TBS broadcast that, hey, this game deserves overtime. I could have freaking slapped him knowing what time I had to wake up that morning. But he was right. This game and the series really did deserve an overtime in Game 7. Did it, though? Did it, though? How evenly matched these teams have been? Yeah, I, I, I feel like it did. It's poetic justice. Not that I wanted to see it, but, you know. Evenly matched, yes. But the Penguins outplayed them thoroughly in multiple games whereas in the games the penguins lost we kept it close it i don't think you're right when you say it was an evenly matched series it was it was close but it took a third string goalie it took them taking out the league's best player it took quite a lot for the rangers to uh, step up and take every advantage they had mm-hmm. to get four wins. Sure, did they get a did they get that fourth win in overtime against uh, a battered up Tristan Jari against uh, just an, a weird helmet rule that I don't want to really dig into. Oh, we will though. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> but just it it took the Rangers 
seven games, playing six of them, six in a piece, uh, against a third-string goalie. That's not evenly matched in my eyes. You're playing a third-string goalie, you should be pounding them. Not They shouldn't be pounding you for seven goals in two games in a row. I get where you're coming from with the evenly matched, just because it went seven games. Mm-hmm. But the fact that the even matchup was a third-string goalie, and oh yeah, Crosby missed two games, mostly two games, that's not even matchup to me. That is the Rangers playing down to their opponent because clearly they... I mean, sure, Crosby was in for a majority of the games, but the Rangers couldn't capitalize against a third-string goalie. And they let the they let the, the away crowd, their, the Penguins' home crowd, get into the head of their goalie. I don't know. That's called playing down to your opponent. That sounds it looks like that sounds like the Steelers if you ask me. Yeah, when I look at this matchup, I think it ended up being evenly matched despite the fact that on paper, statistically and just on paper, the Penguins outmatched the New York Rangers from start to finish basically. Like take away the first period of game 1 and the third periods of game 5 and game 6, the Penguins dominated every other Every other period. I mean, they, they had the majority of the chances. They had the majority of the expected goals in every single one of those. And we'll get into the stats for the full series in total. But if you look at this game, it was, it was the same exact thing. Even in the third period of Game 7, the Pittsburgh Penguins, up until that Mika Zibanejad goal, had only given up, what, six shots on goal? And they were all mostly low danger. They had one really good opportunity on the power play that Tristan Jari was forced to make a really good glove save. But realistically, the Penguins... Overall, for the second straight year, outplayed an opponent, yet aren't moving on to the second round. And this time, it was due to a seven or game seven loss in overtime at the hands of Artemi Panarin. But if you look at the Penguins' side of things, their goals in this game came from Danton Heinen, who tied it up in the first period, a huge goal in the late minute, uh, last minute of the first period. Jake Gensel with a weird soccer type goal where it was skate, kicked it up, playing basically hacky sack in the second period, and then tipping it back down from just underneath the crossbar, gave the Penguins the lead 2-1. to one. They didn't hold on to that lead for very long, but luckily, late in the second period, Evan Rodriguez, a shorthanded goal, put the Penguins up 3-2. to two. I love all the pictures today. I didn't see this last night, but the pictures of Louis Domingue, because the goaltender, for the, the backup goaltender at MSG, is not on the bench. They're at the ends of the arena. So seeing him just randomly in a whole group of Rangers fans, the way he celebrated, that was cool and all. But at the end of the day... Penguins, in my opinion, sat back way too much in that third period. I know they wanted to play defensively, and and realistically, they played well in their own zone in that period. But at the same time, that's too much playing in your own zone, waiting for the other team to make a mistake where you're the one in charge, you should take the, take the reins in that period. That's what bothered me the most in Game 7 was the Penguins shelling a little bit to try to protect the lead and not trying to extend it nearly enough. I understand playing defensive, but I don't think they put enough effort out there to try and extend that 3-2 to lead to make it 4-2. to Yeah, no, you're right. It, it, there wasn't enough effort there. It was taking the foot off the pedal a little bit, uh, but still playing defensive, pretty a pretty defensive game because you mentioned only six shots in the third period. Uh, it's, man, these these types of uh, games are always hard to talk about. It's not easy. And it's, like I said, I haven't had coffee. I'm still very tired right now. I, yeah. I can't even like be in the process of waking up for this. But mm-hmm. um, overall, like 
as a fan, you're just going to feel disappointed. You're going to feel let down. And I've already seen a bunch of people looking for excuses, trying to sit, uh, blame this, blame that. Dude, just I'm not doing that. I'm not looking for excuses. I'm not taking blames. I'm not trying to point fingers. I, do we Are there scapegoats? Absolutely. I already mentioned them. Third string goalie. Prime among them. Mm-hmm. But you can't. You just can't do that. That's not how. That's not a healthy way to cope with this. Is just find excuses. Just know that you were the better team. That mm-hmm. there's without doubt that you were the better team in the series. And man, I don't know. There's very little solace in knowing that the Pittsburgh Penguins were the better team because it, at the end of the day, it, it only matters if you move on. And the Pittsburgh Penguins have not done that now for four straight postseasons. They can't get the job done in Game 7. I, I was sitting there when it was going to overtime, and the second they scored that goal, that Mika Zibanejad goal, which we'll talk about in a minute here, you just had that feeling like they could bounce back, but to me it felt like if the Rangers were going to win, it would have been in the first 10 minutes of that first overtime, which they did, and if it got past that first 10 minutes of overtime, the Penguins were going to win. They just couldn't make it that long as just a couple minutes into OT. Bad penalty taken by Brock. I don't even know if bad penalty. We'll discuss that a little bit later. But a penalty taken by Brock McGinn, which in his eyes, honestly, you know what? I'll save that for later because we're skipping a bunch of things. The big storyline coming into this game, and we'll talk about it a little bit. Penguins getting three massive, massive pieces back. First and foremost, as you wrote a story on for Fan Nation, Tristan Jari back for the Pittsburgh Penguins, taking over for Louis Domingue, as you mentioned. Sidney Crosby returning after leaving Game 5 with a head injury that may or may not have been a concussion. There's people deliberating over that, not that it matters at this point anymore. And Ricard Raquel, who returned for the first time since the first period of Game 1. So those three additions, that gave me a little bit of hope for the Pittsburgh Penguins that, hey, they've outplayed this team. Now they actually have an NHL starting caliber goaltender plus their captain back where if you look at the re- the last ending of game five after he left in game six, that's where the Rangers did the most of their work on the scoreboard. That's where the Rangers turned the tide. It was without Crosby. So with him back in the lineup, you had to assume that the Penguins should be able to take it back. But what did you see from, from those three specifically? We'll finish with Jari and, and talk more about him. Oh, my. I thought they played a great game all around. All three of them, really. Raquel, I mean, it's sure it didn't uh, show up on a score sheet, but he was just able to protect the puck the entire game, dish it to the right people. I didn't see him make too many mistakes, if any at all. Mm-hmm. He, Raquel just looked solid. You know, that's what you that's what you want in a game one situation, though. That's the that's the downfall of the of Raquel returning in game seven is that he looked solid, sure, but it just couldn't get things done in proper situations and that sucks but such is life in the playoffs when you're injured for six of them and so be it like I said he looked solid I'm not disappointed in his game for in his game seven performance Cindy Crosby was able to pick up an assist mm-hmm. like and a very important one it was secondary but who cares it was an assist that led to that Jake Gensel goal that okay high stick or not who cares that was impressive yeah also just how about stop the puck He's two feet in front of you. Yeah, people are going to complain either way. But, I mean, that's – it's a very difficult – like, I I couldn't tell. I just think it's time to start embracing me and you as fans. Just start embracing the Penguins favor the – or the refs favor the Penguins thing. Because you know what? That's our team. Why would we care? No, because the simple fact that I've seen everybody do it in the playoffs. And it's just – People that do that, I will not give a platform to. So, like, I'm done retweeting, discussing, talking to people that that are, like, anything about the refs – 
favoring a certain team. They suck entirely across the board for the entire league. Not just for one series, not just for one team. The entire league, the refereeing sucks. I'm not going to get into, oh, this team got more calls, this team got more 50-50 calls. No, because that's, at the end of the day, the referees are awful, and it's everywhere. It's not in one situation. And if you make that argument, you're either, one, trying to get a reaction, or two, just blatantly ignorant to the sport of hockey. So I don't give that the time of day anymore, specifically on social media, because that's just a breeding ground for hypocrisy and ignorance. No, I'm totally with you on that. I just think it's funny at this point. Like, now if we really want to <laughs> yeah. do this, I am just going to embrace it. You're going to say to the uh, rest of the Penguins, I'm just going to say, all right, it's not your team they favor, so get boned, I guess. Um, but, yeah, uh, Sidney Crosby, actually also pretty solid game. I mean, he was on a mission all series. It sucks that he had to get knocked out the way he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so be the reper- repercussions, if there were any or not. I, whatever. We're going to move along. Mm-hmm. Um, but he played a solid game coming back from uh, what was probably a concussion. Who cares? Again, about again, Rangers fans complaining that we sat. W- what was that? What? No, that's Rangers nothing. fans are just. It's I, nothing. You're, uh, yeah, but yes, and then Tristan Jari playing just hobbled. You could tell he was hobbled walking walking uh, to and from the ice. Let alone in the post game presser with. A literal ice pack around his ankle mm-hmm. you could tell there was a little limp in his step i forget which cl- when when i saw him walking but it was after a period i think it was probably after the third walking back to the dressing room and you could just tell because you're when you walk your body sways a little mm-hmm. you could just tell he was swaying a little more one way <laughs> like yeah. he was struggling to move and he played phenomenally on a foot and a half yeah so i think big props to him he the this loss was not on him, mm-hmm. and it I absolutely respect and adore Tristan Jari for what he did. And man, did he deserve better? But such as it just it is what it is, I guess. Mm-hmm. The position that Tristan Jari was put in to come into a game seven, not just cold coming into a game seven off of a foot injury, but like the fact that last postseason a lot of people blame him directly for that and saying, hey, he can't get it done in the playoffs. Hey, he needs to prove it in the playoffs. And this is the moment at MSG, Game 7, your team has no momentum going for them. Really, other than the the return of some of the injured players, there was not much going for the Penguins heading into that game. He steps in, does what he does, makes 26 saves on 30 shots. The qualities of the goals is what I was looking at. The quality of the goals scored were much higher and much nicer goals for the New York Rangers against Tristan Jari. Obviously, you take away that one off Mike Matheson's foot. That's the third time in that series. But when I look at Tristan Jari and the way he performed, I was much more comfortable with him in net, and that was something that I had not felt since, really, since Casey DeSmith in Game 1. So my question to you, Horwat, is how would a, I know this is a big if, how would a healthy Tristan Jari have changed this series, and to what extent would that have changed this series? We probably would have closed it out in five. Yeah, I'm and I'm giving the Rangers that game too. I'm giving, I'm giving the Rangers a lot of length there, saying we would have closed it out in five, just because. At bare minimum, we, I'm assuming we still dominate those two games at PBG Paints Arena, and let's say we still pull up, uh, pick up that over that triple overtime winning game one. Mm-hmm. 
And then I'm giving the Rangers game two. I, we probably close it out in five. You want to say they win an MSG? Fine. We close it out in six just because that pivotal game six swayed only because of Louis Domingue. Yeah. How many goals did they, did they give up there? Four? Four. Yeah, four. You need pr- almost all four of them. Definitely the third one, or the fourth one. That was just bad. Yeah. You need all of those to be saves. I'll give Louis one or two. Fine. Guess what? you got to make those saves. Those are saves Tristan Jari makes. Mm-hmm. They are. Yeah. So I, we definitely don't go to a seventh. I don't know if we close it out in five. I don't know if we close it out in six. But I'd say I'd still say we would have dominated seven and, or uh, three and four just because, I mean, we chased the possible MVP winner mm-hmm. twice. No, we're not. That's that is in his head. That is, uh, thorough wins for the Penguins. I think we close it out in five or six if if uh, Tristan Jari is healthy in the series, and that's giving the Rangers their game too. That's still taking away Ricard, Raquel, Brian Dumoulin. Mm-hmm. Crosby for the rest of Game 5 if you really want to. Yeah. Here's the thing. I, I think at bare minimum, the Pittsburgh Penguins certainly win this series if Tristan Jari is healthy. And again, you cannot go back and, and change history. He did have a broken foot. He still probably played on that broken foot in Game 7. But the thing is, at bare minimum, the Penguins win. I think the Penguins win this in five in convincing manner if it's Tristan Jari between the pipes. You can say whatever you want. Raquel is out in game one. Crosby goes out in the fifth game the way he did. Tristan Jari being in that game instead of Louis Domingue, being in this series instead of Louis Domingue, the Pittsburgh Penguins would have advanced to the second round in the middle of last week. But the problem is you can't go back and change that history. You can't go back and unbreak Tristan Jari's foot. And you can't go back and really, I mean, even heal uh, Casey DeSmith. That's another side of this. If Casey DeSmith doesn't go down in game one, do you think the same thing? Do the Penguins win this in, in five or six? I know it's a much harder question, but... Yeah, the the DeSmith one is a little harder. I just don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Maybe because you figure Louie and Casey have similar styles where they're just kind of sprawling all over the place at all times. Mm-hmm. I don't. I I just don't know. Mm-hmm. I really don't because it's still Casey DeSmith. I think he injured his way out of a new contract. Potentially. Yeah, I think Louis. Uh, he may have played his way out of a new contract. Well, he came in and saved our asses in game one. Game two was a thing. Was a, gave up four goals despite the win. Gave up four goals in game three. I don't know if he's gonna get one next year. Now, like genuinely, I don't know if either of those two are getting mm-hmm. deals with us next year. Especially with the way this ownership's going to want to absolutely maybe clean house. Maybe. So, those those are off-season topics we'll get to, but just... But I don't see either of them coming back now, and what's for damn sure is I just don't know if... I don't know if uh, Casey DeSmith would have been all that better, all that much better than Louis Domingue. I don't. Here's what I'll... That's just because I didn't have faith in DeSmith all season. Yeah, and here's what I'll say. We don't have to go any deeper into this. Whenever we pivot the conversation to a DeSmith, the one thing that bothered me about Domingue, specifically once the Rangers started to, to recognize it and attack it, is there was one very discernible area of concern that Louis Domingue was not even attempting to hide, and that was if you shoot anything close to the body on his glove side and any way the rest of his blocker side, he didn't trust it. 
He does not trust his blocker side to come up and make a save. Hence the reason he was, he was as you always kept mentioning, trying two-handed saves, trying to catch the puck with two hands, because while we saw him make some glove saves and, and snag some pucks with his glove, the second it comes to the middle of his body, his other hand comes together. And that's the one discernible thing that the Rangers took notice of, and it ended up paying big dividends in game number six. That's the thing that Casey DeSmith might not have been actually as talented. I mean, he might be a little bit more talented, but there's not a big discrepancy there. The one thing is Casey DeSmith did not have a discernible area that the Rangers could attack like Louis Domingue did. So I think the Penguins would have won if it was DeSmith. It might have taken six or seven with DeSmith, but if it was Tristan Jari to, to close out that discussion point, it would have certainly been over, in my opinion, in five. And that's a guarantee. Like, I guarantee you it would have been, but again... Ifs and nuts, you know, ifs and buts and candy and nuts, the world would be whatever. That 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 whole sentiment. But nonetheless... Penguins would be in round two. That's the sentiment. Correct. Yeah, correct. But n- nonetheless, I do give Tristan Jari props. I thought he had a really good game in game seven. But let's discuss uh, the two goals. The two big goals that ended the Pittsburgh Penguins season starting in the third period. Mika Zibanejad ties the game with five minutes 45 seconds left in the game. The whole series and the whole of events started with Marcus Pedersen's helmet falling off and or being ripped off by Alexi Lafreniere. He goes to the bench that opens the the opportunity for John Marino to turn the puck over. Small black stain for John Marino on a great series for him because I thought he played really well, but that turnover leads directly to Mika Zibanejad tying it up late in the third. Yeah, I, I haven't watched the replay yet either to know if to to really check that att- that intentional helmet pull mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, for what it's worth, I understand the rule. You know, you don't have your helmet on. You have to. Uh, come on, guys. We have Sidney Crosby on our team. We I understand the the protecting the head rule. Uh, but man, it just sucks when it leads to something as big as that. Mm-hmm. Um, also. John Marino, come on! Don't you don't pass to the you don't pass toward the front of the net. See, in a, your own zone. a lot of people were basically crucifying for him for that. But if you look at the play, I don't blame him for that because there was three Rangers on the boards with him, and three Penguins in a line. If any of those, like if, if it doesn't hit off Latang, then there's two other Penguins there that could have accepted the pass and no other Rangers to intercept it. The only problem is it hits Latang, bounces, and stays in that area. So I, I get what he was trying to do because that was the open area of ice where there were no Rangers. Most of the time, I agree. Don't send it to the middle of the ice. We saw what happened in Game 5 double overtime last year with Jari. But if you look at where the players were on the ice, even though it's kind of a no-no, John Marino had the right idea there. He just couldn't execute it. Yeah. I, I, I just... I find myself not wanting to complain about this play just because it's just the rule it's the rule that you have to follow you can agree with it or disagree with it all you want but it's the rule you have to follow he could have i mean i don't know how much longer it would have taken for him to pick how it up and put it back on mm-hmm. that's part of the rule too yeah but um man it just it hurts that late in the game you had the, you kind of were feeling the momentum because you were shutting them down for the period you just needed to maybe they were moments away from pulling their goalie you never know yeah uh, it's so hard to take a late goal like that especially with like i said maybe they're ready to pull their goal maybe they're ready to call it in call it in it's so much could have changed had a helmet not fallen off the head or um a bounce didn't go a certain way but Mm -hmm. that can also go all game it's just the small things i think it hurts 
letting in that tying goal. Mm-hmm. And the big thing for me too is, which is why it is frustrating to watch the Penguins lose in that manner, mainly because, I mean, I I was not ready for an off-season episode. I'm not ready to do off-season episodes yet, but that's where we're headed. The big thing for me that that is a little bit frustrating is if you look at the three goals the Rangers scored, two of them were sincerely and largely helped by lucky bounces. And sometimes it's better to be lucky than to be good, but I won't take anything away from that shot by Mika Zibanejad. Everything to set it up, is where I'll say the luck is, but that shot by Zabinajad. Let me let me say this. We kind of crucified him a little bit on this podcast up until game through game five. He had done nothing. Game six and seven, three goals, three assists. Heck of a performance from him. How? How? <laughs> <laughs> Hated here. Big big players come up in big moments, and that's what Zabinajad was able to do in this series. Speaking of big players coming up in big moments but being quiet, let's move over to the overtime period because Penguins get an opportunity early. Then they're trying to keep the puck in the zone. Brock McGinn tries to get a pass off. There's a good stick play by Keandre Miller. A lot of speed from him, even though he's a defenseman. Gets around McGinn. And first, let's talk about the penalty. Because when I looked at it at first, I was like, come on. You got you really took a bad penalty? And I was like, it's not a bad penalty. Because you're giving your team a chance to kill a power, a power play instead of letting a guy go unimpeded towards your goaltender. When you have, even though they haven't been good in this series, when you have the third best power play in the National Hockey League, you take that 10 days out of 10. So I don't blame him again for the play he made because, yeah, you're not going to want to give K. Andre Miller that opportunity to end it right there. And you want to give your penalty kill a chance to get yourself back in the game. But at the same time, it, it's just unfortunate that your team loses. And the as we'll talk about, the potentially the error of the big three loses with two of them sitting on the bench in a shorthanded opportunity. It, it hurts. It it hurts. It was also, like, it was a good penalty to take. It was a hell of a play by Keandre Miller, too, to yeah. draw that penalty, keep that puck that far out, and um, have McGinn continue to reach in. Mm-hmm. It's, and we discuss how bad officiating has been from beginning to end of this playoffs in every series. Sometimes you... Other refs may not have made that call just because it's the postseason, because it was overtime. I mean, we saw more. We've we've seen more blatant penalties go uncalled in overtimes. Yeah, in this, in this playoffs alone, I. I think that was just a little with, too blatant, though. So was what's his name just literally letting Austin Matthews skate for him? But you know, it's yeah. Again, I mean, I again, could argue just, that again, but let, we won't do that. We won't because it's just the consistency thing and it's terrible. For what it's worth, the officiating has called more penalties this post this postseason across the board. And I think that's because the players got together and said, hey, can you guys please call the rule book? This is ridiculous. And while they're still not calling everything, at least, they're, at least it looks like they're calling more. Prime example, Penguins, Game 7 overtime. They made a call. Yeah. They made a penalty call in Game 7 overtime. Like I said, in Game 6 of the Tampa Bay Maple Leaf series, there was a much more egregious penalty that didn't get called. Hell, there was a couple. Yeah, there was a couple. The, the, the one that you're very irritated about is the Killorn and Matthews thing, but when I look at that, I'm like, that's so far away from the puck, and it's an overtime. This directly correlated with the play of the puck on a breakaway, which is why I think you know it might be less egregious of a penalty, less obvious, but the, the situation, which is the problem, is because these are all in situations you can't just put one up against another, plain and dry, but like at the same exact time, 
you know, officiating is what it is. It's not good, and, and it's never really going to be fixed. We can say we need to fix it as a, as a league, but there's never going to be good officiating. We've seen that in all sports for all times. So that that's basically just something that when it happens like that, you got to deal with it. And for the Penguins, he took a penalty. You had to kill it. They weren't able to. Artemi Panarin, I kept watching the replay. I was like, that snuck in in, in the weirdest way. But, hey, kudos to him for getting it through because that is a talent in its own. Part of it might be luck. Part of it is, is a, a skill as well, though. It is. It is. It's a hell of a shot. The fact that he was able to get it through four guys, or however many it was, just lined right up in, right in front of Tristan Jari. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sucks. That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that that's usually the, the summary of, of a feeling after your team loses in Game 7. Yeah, that, that sucks. That's... I didn't know how to feel either. I It's... Anytime something like that happens, you know, people will immediately, like, people will start contacting guys like me and you and just be like, what are your thoughts on this? There's a lot. My thoughts are I want to sleep. My thoughts are uh, I have 16 years of reflecting I need to do. My thoughts are (laughs) this is not the time to be contacting me. Like, I I need to get a little bit more in the zone of being able to do this, but I applaud writers for being able to do night of reviews. Like, Mm -hmm. my God. I need to reprieve. Like, I, I can't sometimes. I just... Especially after something like that, like I need the time to really also get more information from things mm-hmm. and take time to gain a little bit more of a perspective. Regardless, I mean, yeah, that's such a blow to so much about this franchise that it, like we said, like we've been saying, it's regardless of win or lose, it's going to be a wild off season, and uh, here it is, a few weeks earlier than we would have liked. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh boy, it's uh, yeah, gonna start right away. Yeah, if I didn't have to wake up at four a.m., I would have been texting everybody back and doing initial reactions and tweeting, which is what I wanted to do. But I had a four a.m. wake up call, so I turned my phone on Do Not Disturb and I took my ass to bed. That's exactly what I did right after Game Seven, Penguins versus Rangers. But we're gonna take a quick break here on the tip of the iceberg. When we return, we're just gonna do a playoff postmortem, continue to talk about the series that was. For the New York Rangers, the series that wasn't, turns out, for the Pittsburgh Penguins. We'll break down all of that right after the break. What's going on, hockey fans? The pursuit for the Stanley Cup is on. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer for the most exciting playoffs in sports. New customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter the outcome. Whether they win or lose, you're a winner. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the playoffs? With DraftKings' same-game parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets, like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. It's your shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash at your convenience. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Make sure to use promo code THPN and bet just $5 on any NHL team to win to get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details.
Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. We're doing a playoff postmortem because the Pittsburgh Penguins, a lot of peas in that sentence, uh, fell to the New York Rangers by a score of 4-3 in Game 7 last night. Unfortunately, after 89 games, the season is over. We have to wait until mid-October, which is what, five months to watch Penguins hockey now. We have a lot to discuss over the next five months, and we will be with you for the majority of them every Monday and Thursday, like clockwork, because if anything that we're if we're good at anything, it's consistency. I won't say we're good at anything else, but at least we're consistent. Yeah, no, definitely consistent. <laughs> <laughs> but the Pittsburgh Penguins, that makes four straight first-round exits for the Pens. Horwat, does this one feel a little bit different than the previous three? I think it does by, like, tenfold. What do you think? It definitely feels different. It, it, it feels more um, not disheartening, I guess, because it is just because of the possible future of the core, it's a little bit more of a reflective time. It's not We're not dwelling on a bad pass that I refuse to ever talk about again for Tristan Jari. It's not... Yeah losing to the Canadians in a bubble. It's not being swept because we don't know what's going on. We don't know how to handle the Islanders. It's, it feels a little different because the times are the times have changed because we played really well, too, I think. Mm-hmm. The fact that we were able to push it to seven, push it to an overtime game seven, it, it, we, it, things felt positive for most of the series. Things Like, sure, things felt positive in most of the Islanders series, but, I mean, Tristan Jari could stop a beach ball. So there was yeah. the big negativity there. There was the big factor. This one, it's we take the loss, and all of a sudden it's okay. We're reflecting. It's not we're dwelling. Mm-hmm. We're not. I mean, we just spent a half an hour talking about the game, but we're not dwelling yeah. on the game. We're not saying here's what is wrong. Here's what is needs to be fixed going forward. Here's this that. No, we're looking back on 16 years and thanking this team, regardless of win or lose. Yeah. This team yeah. deserves to be celebrated. I think. Does it hurt to lose? Absolutely. Sidney Crosby was on a mission. All three of these men are fully well aware of what this summer may hold for them. Mm-hmm. Sidney Crosby himself was on a mission to do something. To make this memorable for him, for his brothers, for every for every fan out there. Mm-hmm. And small things happen. You know, he can't play the rest of Game 5 with the lead. He can't play Game 6. And just Game 7 is just unfortunate. He wanted more, you could tell. Malkin and Latang probably wanted more. We all wanted more. It's, But it is a time to reflect and have genuine discussions about what is to come. I mean, we're, we're at 9.50 in the morning, and we've already had people discussing the future of Ronald Hextall, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. And genuinely, given the quote that I heard from Rob Rossi on the fan not that, not that long ago, that the only two people, two that are safe in this organization right now, not on the team, in the organization, are Sidney Crosby and Mike Sullivan. There's a... Hearing that quote to start, before the Mm offseason starts, before the playoffs, Mm -hmm. and now we're under 24 hours from that, you know, fourth Rangers goal going in. We're getting Jeff Hathorne out here. I can pull the quote up if that's where we're at. Saying that... They're looking at areas they can improve. I think they're evaluating Hextall. There's not a there's not 100% confidence that's the right choice. And I get it coming from a new ownership group that wasn't the one that made the hire. Mm-hmm. So 
it's going to be interesting. Lemieux is still involved, yes, but to what extent? We'll have to see now. Yeah, we'll see how much he has his, his finger on the trigger as well, as he's always been very heavily involved, but with this new ownership deal, we'll have to, to keep an eye on that. Uh, for this series, and to get back to the, the does this feel different for me, I think it's a matter of the question, what if? Last year, there was one what if for the Pittsburgh Penguins. What if Tristan Jari played better? This year, what if Tristan... We already had one of them. We already discussed one of them. What if, what if Jari played the entire series? What if Louis Deming had more faith in his blocker side? What if Crosby hadn't gone down in Game 5? What if Raquel had played the entire time? What if Dumoulin, you know, Dumoulin yeah. was healthy? What, what, if, what if Casey DeSmith would not have pulled his groin and everybody thought he had to go take a crap in the middle of the second overtime? Like, what? There were so many what-ifs in this series. What if a call would have been made here or there? That's always there. What if a bounce would have went a different way? What if Pedersen would have played the puck and just taken the penalty and they would have went shorthanded and, and instead of... You know, instead of going to the bench and opening the door for Mika Zibanejad, there's so many. And the Pittsburgh Penguins, when I look at it, and I'll bring up the the tweet by uh, Jay Fresh, he said the Penguins finished this series with 63% of the expected goal share at 5-on-5. 63%. And he said, if I'm not mistaken, so obviously this is not 100%, that surpasses Washington and Montreal in 2010, where Washington had 60.9% as the highest expected goals for in a losing effort in the analytics era. He then went on to say that's the highest expected goals for the Penguins have ever recorded in a playoff series. They played better. They outplayed at 5-on-5 the New York Rangers better than they did the Tampa Bay Lightning in 2016 when they won in seven games. That's the type of series that it was, and that's why I think this one feels different because it felt like even though the Penguins outperformed the Islanders last year, there was not nearly as many what-ifs as in this series. We scored find the number 25 we scored 25 goals in seven games on the can we say the definite Vesna winner can we I'll give I'll say he's the Vesna winner because if he's not then it's just then that's a joke. weird yeah like how are you gonna lose the Vesna but also be nominated for MVP yeah we're, we scored 25 goals against the Vesna winner we scored 25 mm-hmm. goals against the guy who's up for an MVP as a goalie that doesn't happen often we, yeah. in seven games, we dominated him. Sure, he put up damn near 100 saves in game one. He took a loss. Mm-hmm. I went on that 30-second rant when that happened. Congratulations on the save. You lost. Yeah. But now, here we are, game seven. And sure, it would have been nice to really use that waving by meme a hell of a lot. I had it saved up for uh, since game one, and I wanted to use it game five that night. I was like, let's go. I wanted to use it game six. I was like, come on. And then in game seven, Panarin scores that goal, and the first thing I did was delete that gif off my phone. And I was like, well, I guess I guess they get to use it now. But oh but well. I, I, but if if one of, if one thing is for damn sure, we figured out that Igor Shosturkin is human and it is easy to get to him. Like I said, when that waving happened, why are you waving at the team you just beat instead of skating off the ice? Why are you worried about them? Why are you worried about Mark Friedman getting in your face? You're clearly the better team you just won. Now, in the playoffs, your first... Congratulations! Uh, for real, though, congratulations on your first playoff series win. But you yeah. got shelled in two games because you couldn't take the fact that the, that the crowd was chanting your name. The, mm-hmm. Someone asked him about it, at, legitimately, not the fake quote. At least I'm pretty sure it's legitimate. 
um, he, he, someone asked him, what do you think whenever you know the crowd's chanting your name? He just said, okay. No, that's not what you think. That's not what you think. You don't think just, okay. You, you don't. You don't. The, cause, because guess what? When they have been chanting your name, you got shelled twice and got pulled twice in a row. You almost lost a series for your team. That's not what you think. Game six, if they're chanting your name before the anthem, Jeff Jemerson had to delay. We haven't talked about game six, by the way. We were not able to talk about game six because we didn't record. No. We don't need to. Yeah. I could go off for days about Louis Domingue in that game. But that crowd was into it. It hurts losing the way we did in game six. But that crowd was so into that game. Jeff Jimerson delayed his anthem because we were chanting Igor. First of all, thank you, Jeff. That was fun. <laughs> Secondly, there's no way that's not in your head. There's no way. Then you give up the first two goals. No, mm-hmm. that's in your head. Don't say you just think okay and move on because you don't. No goalie does. I don't care what anyone says. No goalie does. I'm sure Flurry yeah. well, would say, no, nah, that got in my head. I'm sure, I'm sure Murray's well aware of things getting in his head it's yeah you have a you have more of a reaction to that unless you are quite literally just a stone cold killer you have you Mm -hmm. have more thoughts than just okay to that well i'm sure he did but at the end of the day i mean he 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 overcame it which is cool and that's a sign of a really good goaltender and the thing is he probably won't at least i'm trying to think through the Eastern Conference, he won't have to face a crowd that's going to be that abrasive towards him because Carolina's not that bad. Uh, Florida's not like that. Neither is Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay's probably the most raucous home crowd, the most difficult home ice advantage that they're going to have to face if they run the gauntlet here. But nonetheless, I mean, he, he did get his shit together a lot after that Game 4 pool. Even though he they were down, he played pretty well in Game 5. He played pretty well in Game 6. I thought he was still a little off balance. I thought he was still a little bit off his game. But he made the big saves. Even in Game 7, he made three or four glove saves, which, yeah, he overcompensated a little bit when it came into the glove and went over windmill, but that's every goaltender. Yeah. Yeah. That's the feeling that you want. So I don't blame him for that. I, I thought he really turned his game around really well, and that's part of the reason that the Rangers came back from down 3-1. to one. Another big reason that I want to discuss, special teams was a massive factor this entire series. But the weird part was, in Game 7, when it mattered the most, up until that power play goal in overtime, the Penguins won the special teams battle. Up until that point, they had. They had scored, I believe it was two power play goals already in the game, and they had killed two penalties for the New York Rangers in a series where the Rangers finished 6-for-19 with 32% on the power play, including the series-winning goal, and the Penguins... Helped by two goals in Game 3 and two goals in Game 7. Finished 6 for 23 for 26%. 2 for 5 in Game 7. Not awful in Game 7. But when you look at everything else, multiple 5 on 3s that they got less than 3 shots, including a full 2-minute 1 at the beginning of Game 5. Multiple shorthanded opportunities, including a 1 in, in Game 7 for Tyler Mott, which, again... Nice to have Tristan Jari back there because that was a confident, easy save that he made in a very pressure. He made it look easy, I should say. It's not an easy save. Made it look easy, but nonetheless, in a special teams series where the Rangers had dominated so heavily, the Penguins won game seven up until the last second. And that is something that will sting if you're Todd Reardon, who wasn't at the game. I think there's serious concern about the fact that you have that much skill. I didn't see any adjustments from the Penguins' power play from Game 1 to Game 82. That's an issue. 
to game 89, sorry, including the seven power game play games. Game 89, take there, it back three years, too. We're doing yeah. the same thing. There has been no adjustments made by Reardon. That's going to go against him also because, I mean, it's not like the defense was that, that good as far as the blue liner was concerned. The whole team was great, but again, I don't know how that goes. The The breakdown by Mike Bellucci's penalty kill, it looked like last season's penalty kill. I know you didn't have Brian Boyle. That's a, that's a tough thing. I know you lost two really big penalty killers in the regular season, and maybe that's why the Penguins... Penalty kill wasn't as great because they lost Zach Aston Reese, who was here for the majority of the season, which probably bolstered their numbers. But at the same exact time, you have to be better at special teams because if you aren't, you're probably not going to win a series. Like, there's other what-ifs, but, I mean, what if the Penguins were competent on in special teams in this series is another one that I look at as a huge reason to why they couldn't get the job done in, in certain games and in certain situations because they were just inept on the power play and their penalty kill was getting, you know, absolutely railroaded by the Rangers' power play. If anything happens this offseason, I want it to be a new friggin' power play. If anything happens. If nothing else happens. How about that? The, that should be square one. <laughs> Forget who's on that power play, it, it, or forget who's coaching it. Square One should be finding a new system for these guys. This is terrible. We've been watching. I've been saying this for years, not just this year, not just last year, for years. Just every time in the playoffs, just as a joke. Hey, the Penguin, <coughs> Penguins are going on a power play. Can we turn it down? Can Can we say no? We've given up enough shorthanded goals already. The fact that that's think decline. Yeah, the fact that we're <laughs> in the year 2022 and we're having these 2018 problems. Come on. I've had enough. I've had enough. Figure something out. Yeah. Enough with this drop pass at the at, at your blue line. Like, just get it in. You have a man up. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Basics. Fundamentals. Just playing like you have your advantage is all you have to do. And we're overcompensating for things. Sure, you want to have the yeah. proper shot in the open lane. But no shot on goal is a bad shot on goal sometimes i.e. game mm-hmm. seven overtime way to go also it doesn't help that brock again a big time penalty killer was the one in the box yeah yeah that was a that was a very very interesting uh very interesting situation that i was not too confident in uh the second he took that penalty i was like yeah of all, of all people of course it's also brock again that doesn't help either uh, let's talk about some positives one big positive that i want to mention and then we can move on to looking at the offseason as a whole uh, one big positive to me was was the play of Jake Gensel. I think that was evident to everybody that watched this game and watched this series. Gensel finished with eight goals, two assists, and ten points in the seven games played. He was especially compared to the way he played against the Islanders last off last postseason. Not even before that. Also, like the Canadian series and and the Islanders series before, Gensel had gone a couple years without being that elite playoff performer, and he returned to that in this series and it was a massive factor as to why the Penguins were even in Game 7, let alone tied going into overtime of Game 7 as well. The goal he scored in in that game was ridiculous. Great hand-eye coordination, but he was just terrific all the way around. A lot has been made of the fact that he's not really a defensive specialist, and he's not really good defensively. But when you're a top-six winger, when you are the best winger on this team you kind of say, okay, that's fine that he's not the defensive mastermind that his center, Sidney Crosby, certainly has turned out to be. It's time for people to realize that uh, Jake Gensel's an elite player in this league. It really is. Um, it's it's sad that he doesn't get the respect he deserves. He's a 40-goal scorer. Could be 50 if he tried hard enough. 
I don't know about 60. Austin Matthews was on another level this year. Yeah, 60 is just ridiculous. Yeah, but, I mean, eight goals in seven games, ten points through seven games in the postseason against, again, how many times am I going to say it? Against the Vezina winner? Against Mm the possible MVP winner? Dude, that's an elite-level talent right there, and I'm assuming from here on in people are going to realize that. Here's the thing with Jake Gensel, too. Just to kind of look forward a little bit, he's the only top six winger and one of two top six forwards that are currently under contract for the Penguins next year. Him and Crosby. That's it. And also, I I think the big thing as well is the fact that he did all of this despite, and I know that he had a half-decent series. I know he had a three-point game in game one. Brian Russ did not have a fantastic postseason this year. In a big time for him because he's going into a contract situation as UFA, the fact that he was making those mistakes, he was missing the net, he was whiffing on rebound chances, and Gensel was still able to go out there, put up 10 points. I understand there was only two assists, and one of them was the beautiful assist that he made in Game 6 to set Brian Rust up. I think Gensel was extremely, extremely impressive in this postseason, and realistically, the one thing that you can fall back on, even though it's going to be a wild and turbulent offseason, is Jake Gensel will be on the team come game one of next season, and that's always going to be something that is great for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, yeah. I know whenever I said there are two people that are safe, Jake Gensel's probably a third. I would imagine unless somebody offers you the sun and the moon, meaning like a first-round pick and a good NHL player, they're not going to move on from a guy like Jake Gensel because he's a 40-goal scorer. You just don't trade guys like that, especially at his age and with his contract. Yeah, he's too. already in. He's got another – oh, just another – oh, a couple – two years, two years. I'm looking at different contracts. Two years. He's got another two years left, so like we have the time to really mold with him, to really mm-hmm. have him play at this skill level for a long time. Yep. I think if there was a safe bet for a third person, then it's definitely safe. It's him. Everyone else, mm-hmm. though, it's going to be interesting. But I think Jake Gensel, and you mentioned Ryan Rust. You said he didn't have the greatest series. He still had eight points, man. He did, but he was more of a passenger on that line with Crosby and Gensel than he was. I mean, three of those came in game one. Let's not forget. That's fair. But... I feel like he was much more of a passenger in this series than somebody who was actually driving play like we saw him do back in 2016 and in 2017. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, uh, I mean, he was hurt, but I still, I mean, we could still complain and fight about Raquel being up on yeah. the first line. He should have been, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, I thought that was an obvious one for Mike Sullivan, but I guess uh, I guess he disagreed nonetheless. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the offseason coming up because it is going to be one of the most intriguing, one of the most interesting, one of the one of the most different postseasons and off seasons in Pittsburgh Penguins history, specifically of the Sidney Crosby era, because for the last 16 years, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang have all been on this team, have been taking this team to the playoffs, have taken this team to four Stanley Cup Finals appearances, three Stanley Cup championships. It could be the end, Horwat. This could be the end of the Big Three era. That's going to be the big storyline for the Pittsburgh Penguins going into the offseason. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I said, you know, after that game ended yesterday, last night, it wasn't, you know, thinking about what we did wrong. It wasn't thinking about the ups and the downs, the ebbs and the flows of the game. It was just a reflection on 16 years. Mm -hmm. It was a sitting back not getting torn up about the game and just thinking of what these three men, what these three gentlemen have brought to us for 16 
years, 16 consecutive years, postseason play, um, mm-hmm. Stanley Cup Finals appearances, Stanley Cup Final wins, uh, you know, playoff victories, just countless memories through so much adversity. We talk about all three of them suffering from severe injuries at one time or another. Mm-hmm. Latang went through a stroke and came back to play 30 minutes a night. Sidney Crosby thought he wasn't going to play again in 2011. I don't remember if Kenny Malkas, but he has a wrist injury right now that he can't get fixed until he retires. Multiple knee surgeries. Knee surgeries. It's it's something else. These All three of these guys, I mean, Malkin and Crosby, definitely Hall of Famers. I think you can make the argument for Chris Latang as a deep cut. Um, mm-hmm. Do the three deserve to have their jerseys retired in Pittsburgh? Most likely. And that's yeah. a Lemieux situation. That's a Lemieux argument, and he's vouching for all three of them and Flurry for that matter. Uh, one of the it's so it, it's been so fun. You know, we don't. I don't want to talk about them leaving yet because again, the door is still open. You never know. Yeah, that, it's it. That's why I say potential. Yes, it's all potentials. Everyone on Twitter is kind of at the point of doom and gloom, and honestly, rightfully so. Yeah, that's perfectly fine. I mean, yeah. You lose game seven, your fan base is not going to be too happy the next day. Yeah, I, I was shockingly calm. Like I said, I just kind of sat back and reflected. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed my night. I, there was an eclipse last night. I looked at an, I looked at an eclipse last night. That was cool. Uh, but regardless, it's um, it's going to be the most talked about, the most interesting, and the most headline worthy off season of this tenure of these past sixteen, seventeen years. Uh, Mm-hmm. No matter what happens, this team, like I said, no matter what, this team should be celebrated. And these three should be celebrated. And it may not be the end. You do never know. Mm-hmm. But we'll see what new ownership decides on. And for what it's worth, what songs do we think we're going to play for the Chris Letang and Evgeny Mall contribute videos when they come back? Yeah, uh, I don't know because I have a slight suspicion, and this is not founded by facts, so don't take it, you know. I'm just saying I have a slight gut feeling Evgeny Malkin might retire. Oh, okay. Coming off a knee surgery, massive reconstructive knee surgery, already has the elbow issue that is recurring and still needs surgery. I don't know. I mean, he's still very effective over a point a game this year. But, again, very small portion of me believing that he might do that. Realistically, I, I think the one thing I am most certain about and that's again even like 50 50 is that Latang goes and plays with the canadians because they have the cap space to give him the money it's his former agent they're gonna have the number one overall pick this year they're a young exciting team playing for martin st louis is something that i certainly would have to give a hard think about so if anything's gonna happen i would say that's probably the most likely i just it's weird because i could see Latang playing for another franchise it would be weird i can't see if getting mall can lacing it up for anybody like i thought i was like okay Maybe the Oilers get him to add to that whole thing they got going there. I was like, I can't imagine him in an Oil- I can't imagine him in any other jersey than Pittsburgh Penguins. So we'll see what happens. Again, I wouldn't think that retirement is off the table for him. And until I hear otherwise, I'm going to think that might be an option this offseason. Right. So the him. thing with Latang, that makes total sense. You're right. Canadians make sense. Uh, damn, we still need the Nordiques to be here. No, the Canadians make <laughs> sense, especially because they ha- they're that's a good fit for him. I guess, and they need the new number one now that Shea Weber's gone, and mm-hmm. that works for them. French Canadian going home, you know, fun, young fun team. My thing with Amalkin in the retirement, he's 19 games short of a thousand. 
I that's that's what holds me back from uh, agreeing with you on a retirement, just because regardless of health, skill, whatever, he's a Genny Malkin and he can get 19 games next year somewhere, mm-hmm. one way or the yeah. other. Um, but we know it's not a skill or a health thing anymore. I mean, sure, the wrist surgery, but, I mean, over a point per game, he was a minus 10 this year. He almost won the Penguins green jacket this year. Um, it's still – I just don't see a retirement happening because he's so close to such a big milestone. Like, if it was further away, if it was, like, 40, maybe I'd mm-hmm. be with you. But it's eight, It's 19. It's 19. Yeah. It, the, the Coyotes can give him 19 games. The – He's he loves Florida. The Panthers could give him 19 games. I think he'd be able yeah. to figure out. So I, while I see where you're coming from with retirement, just being so close to such an important stat like that, 19 games is nothing for a definite future Hall of Famer just to have another notch in his belt. Yeah, and again, I didn't think about that specifically because of how Gino talked about Sid's 1,000th game and how much he's like, I can't wait till I hit this. It'll be such a fun time. So maybe I, I walk that back a little bit, but again. He's somebody that has said several times throughout his career he would like to go play in Russia once he's done in the NHL. And if he continues, like, I mean, second reconstructive knee surgery, I went back and looked because I remember he missed one of the postseasons when the Penguins played the Lightning. It was the same thing. ACL, MCL, tear. He did it at the age of, what, 37 at this point? Plus he has that elbow injury. I'm not sure how much longer he's going to play. Obviously, I'd like to see him play for the Pittsburgh Penguins, but that's answers that we'll get throughout this offseason the only other small things that i want to talk about it's probably going to have to be brian rust or ricardo raquel do you have an initial lean on who you'd rather bring back if you're the penguins probably raquel i mean yeah he's younger by a year but he probably won't make as much money uh it's mm-hmm. it's a fresh face it's new you know it's that's always something it's the fact that it's someone newer in this in the organization it's a fresh it's a fresh smelling player it's Someone that you don't know exactly what you're going to get. Whereas Brian Russ, you do know. You know you're going to get some good goal scoring. Maybe some inconsistencies. God, some inconsistencies. But Ricard Raquel, just because it's someone new, it's someone that you brought in to possibly be just a rental, but turned out to play pretty well. I think there's something Mm -hmm. to be had there. It's um, I would stick my card into... Ricard Raquel's camp and keeping him around over Brian Russ, but that's just me. Sure, it's the age thing is not much; it's just a year. But I just like the idea of someone a little fresher, a little new. Let's new perspective, new ownerships in here. They're going to want new people. I think Raquel's the good spot, a good spot to start with as to get new people in the organization. Mm-hmm. I think Brian Rust especially I don't know it's it's a very difficult thing because you want to be loyal to the guys that came up through your your organization and I really you know the the moments Brian Rust has given us we've talked about how he's Mr. Elimination for the Pittsburgh Penguins he even did score an elimination game in game six but it just if it has to be between the two of them I just want to see more of Ricard Raquel on this team and see what that's like because we didn't get you know we got what a period in a game of him in the postseason None of it with Sidney Crosby, which is what we saw magic down the regular season stretch. I would love to see more. It's a tough decision to make. I'm glad I don't I don't have to make it. I'd like to get paid the same number as the guy that does have to make that decision. But nonetheless, it's a tough one to make. I would lean Ricard Raquel early. But if you ask me again in two weeks, I might be right back on the Brian Rust train. It's just a thing if it's so early 
that that's where I'm at right now. And the thing also with Brian Rust is he's a guy that I think his ceiling's a little higher than Raquel. His ceiling is 30, potentially 35, I think is, is the max for him. Raquel might be a 20 to 25 and potentially a 30, which means Rust is going to command more money. And that's why I think, you know, in an offseason where there's so much uncertainty with your forward lineup, if you can, you know, cut corners a little bit, but still get some decent production, which is what I think Ricard Raquel would be over Brian Rust, then that's what you do. The last thing I will say before we cut to break, and I'll let you say anything else that you're looking forward to in this offseason big storylines, I want Danton Heinen back. He came out, he came over on a show me contract. I want Danton Heinen back. That's I'm going to leave it at that for right now. We're going to do a 3M segment at some point here in the next couple of weeks. I want Danton Heinen back on this team next season. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, he's played phenomenally. I mean, sure he had to get, you know, put in the doghouse for a minute, but that's what he, exactly what he needed. He's been a huge player for yeah. us, so I totally agree with you. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we'll finish off this post-mortem episode of the Pittsburgh Penguins season with our weekly Pens poll. We'll be right back. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network, as well as DraftKings. Make sure you use promo code THPN at the DraftKings Sportsbook app for great odds and even better opportunities. We're going to finish this one off with our weekly Pens poll. And the Pens poll we asked was, who has been, at the time, last Monday, who has been the Penguins' most important player to this point in the series? Sidney Crosby won that. One goal, five assists at that time, 60% of the vote. Jake Gensel came in second with 19% of the vote. Louis Deming, with a 2-1 and one record at the time, had 16% of the vote. And John Marino, who at the time had 77.49 expected goals percentage, finished with 5%. Horwat, I'm not going to ask you this because there's been, what, four more games played and the series is over and the Penguins have lost since then. But I'll ask you, who was the Penguins' most important player in this series? Sidney Crosby. Yes. Yeah, because he was in it. I, I would say Tristan Jari. You, I mean, you can make the argument for Tristan Jari, honestly. Mm-hmm. Even though he didn't play, you can still make that argument because where would we probably be in a better place with with him in? Yeah, it's the it's the old uh, Peyton Manning thing, uh, where he gets injured for a season and you see how bad the team is around him now. He deserves MVP. Um, but Sidney Crosby, because he was able to play and was you visibly just visibly on a mission the entire time he was out on the ice. Nine points through the first five games. Mm-hmm. Yes. Filthy. He was ready to crush these guys. Mm-hmm. And just unfortunate circumstances, they happen. You know? I, I applaud Crosby for looking after his own health, no matter what, and not playing in game six because of what possibly was a concussion and not going through with, you know, jeopardizing what could be a great end to his end to his career. The road is not over for Cindy Crosby in Pittsburgh, ladies and gentlemen. No. And if there is one thing that is for certain, no matter who is around him on this lineup, he's going to get the best out of him. He's going to want to win. 
We got that going for us, guys. This isn't the end for the franchise. We love the players on him, but Sidney Crosby's still going to be around, and he's going to help carry this franchise, this team, this logo, uh, to whatever it may be. Um, so I think in this series, Sidney Crosby was the most important just because you could tell he was on a mission. He knew the circumstances of this summer, and they're here now. But I think during during play, it was all him. It was his mission. It was his game. Mm-hmm. And it was his world, and the Rangers were living in it for a while. So yeah, even uh, our buddies over at the Broadway Boys podcast, whenever we sent over the you know, congratulations, uh, good luck, moving on, whatever. The same thing everybody says in the in the handshake line. We sent that over, and they said, "Yeah, Sidney Crosby, you know, was the best player in this series, and, and he was two goals, eight assists, scoring timely t- goals, scoring big goals, just doing everything correctly, playing fantastic defensive hockey." If you don't think there's a correlation between Crosby being injured and Mika Zibanejad finally breaking through, then you're sorely mistaken because Crosby had the clamps on the entire Zibanejad line. I don't know why Gallant continued to put them up against each other, but before that injury, Crosby had Mika Zibanejad scrambling to find an answer. And once Crosby went down, Zibanejad was able to find his game with that little bit of freedom. And props to him, it's not all because Crosby's gone, but like nonetheless, Sidney Crosby... Isn't he always the most important players for the Pittsburgh Penguins? But it, it just is echoed by the performance that he, he put on in this series. It was. Uh, well, <laughs> it just the more we talk, the more we, I get sad about the Penguins. And I, I feel like I want to take a break from hockey, but I can't right now. Hey, Stanley Cup playoffs. I'm going to take a small break from watching, I think. Still entertaining. Just, well, there's no game tonight. There's your break. Great, nah, but I'm going <laughs> to try my best to just not be sad over the Penguins for a little bit. Um, try and get things off my chest that I still need to come to me, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just Like I said, I've just been needing to reprieve a little and digest all of this, but yeah, uh, I applaud this team. No matter what, that they were celebrated by me. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to say on this podcast at the end, even though there's no Pittsburgh Penguins hockey until October, we could look at the Wilkes-Barre-Scranton Penguins, who were in the playoffs, but they also got eliminated last night. Swept by the Springfield, I believe it's Thunderbirds, fueled by, once again, a blown lead by the Penguins organization. Five unanswered goals for the Thunderbirds, and the Baby Pens lose 7-6 to six in the second round of the American Hockey League playoffs. So, how about those Kelly Cup finals? How are the uh, Wheeling Nailers doing? They lost also. They lost a couple days uh, a couple days prior, though. So at least not all three of the teams in the Penguins organization lost on the same day, but two of them did. Um, I just wanted to say quickly before we moved on on that that you know the Wilkes-Barre Penguins were much better this year than they have been in seasons past. There are some players down there that will play a major factor, as we'll discuss throughout the offseason, in next year's lineup. Guys like Valtteri Pustinen, guys like P.O. Joseph. I expect that you will see them very early on next season. So we will obviously talk about all that in the off season. But lastly, I just want to thank everybody that has tuned in this year, this season. Still season three is going to continue until the beginning of the next actual league year. When we move to season four, it would be nice to get back up to 87, which is where we finished season one and season two. But uh, a good number right now, though. We're a good number right now. We are. We are. This is nice. This is actually the uh, the wrong number. Is whereas uh, oh. we're at episode 65, but I, I fat fingered it this morning. By a mile. 
Listen, I've been up since four o'clock. So, uh, but nonetheless, no, thank you to everybody that has tuned in. We truly appreciate it. We hope you continue to follow us at the tip of the iceberg through the off season. We'll also be at Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation inside the Penguins writing articles like nonstop. So if it is the off season, but if you do need to scratch that Penguins itch, we will both have you covered. I just want to thank you so much for choosing this podcast, for listening to this podcast, and for tuning in all season long. I, I, I truly believe we have the best listeners in the business, and I appreciate all of you for tuning in throughout the season. Yeah, we, we appreciate all the listens. Uh, it's been a fun ride. Don't know where we would be without the listeners, that's for sure. And, mm-hmm. hey, there's a lot more coming. Regardless of ups, downs this offseason, I'm excited for the future. I'm excited for the future of this team. I'm excited for Bernanke, me and you, our future. Uh, and all, as always, thank you everyone for always sticking around, listening, listening to us rant, listening to me babble whenever I haven't had my coffee. <laughs> I did get an email. The water is still not on, ah. but at least at least I'm aware it's just because of an emergency leak. Um, but yeah, we, we appreciate all that everyone uh, does to support us, listen to us, and all of that. And uh, strap in, get ready. Let's go. And guess what? We're not taking a break. We will be back on Thursday with a new episode of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, continuing to break down the series, look forward into the offseason, get a little bit more in-depth into some of the things that are about to happen, because the grind doesn't stop here at TOTIB. Tip of the Iceberg podcast, thank you so much for tuning in. Shout out to the Pittsburgh Penguins. It was a wild ride. Not the greatest ending, not the ending we all hoped for, but a great season. Thank you for all the memories at the Pittsburgh Penguins. Thank you for all the memories listening to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. We'll be back on Thursday. Have a good week, Penguins fans. You can follow us on Twitter at NickHorwat41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. This podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcast from so please subscribe and rate us on apple podcasts we are brought to you by the hockey podcast network you can visit them on twitter at hockeypodnet or at the hockeypodcastnetwork.com every team everywhere